Do you ever get that feeling of inferiority that a lack of experience brings too close to home? This week on the podcast, we're talking about level disparity in D&D. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello, Joe. Benjamin. Uh, this week, and for the foreseeable future, We Speak Commons brought to you in partnership with The Dice Dungeon. You can get yourself wonderful crafted metal dice directly from the UK for D&D and all other types of role-playing games. If you use the code WESPEAKCOMMON at checkout, you get 10% off while supporting the show. We've made it, then. We have made it. We've made it, mate. We've, we've, uh, we've hit the, the big time, the big leaks. Do you know how I know that? Because I got like a little weird saying all of that. Felt weird. Mm, like, <laughs> like you were a, a professional. Yeah. Just a, a brief moment. For a brief moment, it felt like I was I was achieving goals. Um, we will talk about it a little bit more um, a, a little bit later in the show. But first, I want to know how you're doing. How are you? What's going on? I'm very well, Ben. And now that we can, you know, provide people with the deals they need, you know, because I found that probably the greatest value of this podcast I, I resented this for a little while but i come to realize that it's just the ability for us to get things for free and then <laughs> give them away i think is the maximum value that's where the real bulk of our twitter followers come from yeah, so yeah i'm just leaning into it now okay so go get your cheaper dice guys you know it's there we have provided well that's the thing as well so obviously um you can go and get 10 percent off of your purchase for these and really nice dice we're gonna um you may have seen some stuff on twitter if you already follow us if you don't go and follow us you can see some really nice um photos of these dice uh, especially later today because we've also got uh, a set to give away as well so um and it's a set of your choice if you're the winner so go and have a look at the website have a little browse have a look through see which ones catch your eye um maybe buy a couple of sets and then head over to our twitter later today uh when this episode goes out on the thursday there'll be a tweet i'll make sure it's um pinned or if not near the top of our uh, profile um and you can go and enter into that contest which is going to be open for a little while as well so yeah yeah still giving away the good stuff joe Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think you'll all be able to tell which dice are my favourite. Um, just, just think Paladin, and then draw your eye to whatever dice really represents. I'm gonna. They're the best. I'm gonna tell you about my favourite ones a little bit later in the show because I have a set right here next to me. But that's uh, that's spoilers. So. Then what are we actually talking about? So. Okay, so I want to talk about level disparity and playing in games where you have either as a player or as a DM, where you have a party that's got a few players that are one level and a few players that are like maybe lower or maybe higher. Um, And the reason is because a couple of weeks ago, we got an email from a guy called Felix, who is uh, currently from Australia. So g'day, mate. Um, Is that rude? I'm sorry. (laughs) Is that culturally insensitive? I mean, mean, you've said it now. It's done, uh, yeah. Can't undo that. Um, We don't edit this show. It goes out as is. So he uh, emailed saying that he's got um, a party with a level five rogue, a level five paladin, uh, barbarian, sorry, and a level three paladin. And then um, they're adding another player who will be a level five bard who's about to join the party. So he wants to know uh, basically 
what advice we have on things like the barbarian's physical damage resistance from like rage or just generally how to make encounters seem lethal but also doesn't want to like kill off his level threes uh separately he's got advice to increase the encounters per long rest to suggested six to eight encounter adventuring day but once again i'm kind of struggling with that because i still really don't have a great grasp on how to pace to match that so there's two things here he says a lot of their encounters aren't com- combat orientated so i kind of want to talk about it first about like our experiences with it whether we do it whether we don't do it run games with different level caps and things or mm. um like what our thoughts are on it and then later on how we deal with it well so so first of all the the six to eight encounters is completely mental yeah uh, <laughs> not feasible i agree i don't i don't know why that's in there like i've never seen that be possible i see i thought about this the other day and i think it makes sense when you imagine encounters as everyday life stuff so like when we're playing water deep and you're doing lots of like life stuff i call it you know like living and shopping and running the bar and stuff i could see a lot of the stuff that happens in that game in those days as encounters and then i would be hitting those six to eight encounter limits but that's yeah, not but how i plan i would write it as then six to eight scenes not mm. an encounter sort of comes with a bit of baggage as to what that actually means yeah so i mean i wouldn't worry too much about that i would have as many encounters as feels appropriate well, that's the thing as well, because if you have a massive deadly encounter and you burn out all of your party's like resources and abilities, which can be a good thing if you're trying to build up that tension for the next encounter, but then if you go and drop in another one because you've only hit five and you want to hit a minimum of six, you might end up burning them out. Yeah, and I mean, we speak about pacing ad nauseum on this podcast, mm-hmm. but... You, only you as the DM who's in the game and playing it and can fill the players out and get a vibe of sort of their um, propensity to want more combat or less or whatever. Only you can really then control the pacing from that. Uh, so you're sort of in control as to reading the room, finding out what you need, what the players need in terms of exploring the different pillars of D&D, whether that be sort of social exploration, combat, whatever, and deciding, okay, we need a little bit more of this, we need a bit more of this. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely wouldn't feel limited by the fact that, okay, I need to get the encounters up because this is how the game's designed. I don't think the game is designed that way. Mm. Unless encounters are, you're saying, literally just a tiny fight just to drain a few spells, and the next fight is just to drain a few spells, just so they're, just by the time they get to the end of the day, they're pretty much completely out. That's not ne- That's not really necessary, I don't think. Because you can, yeah, you might get to the end of the day and the wizard still has a bunch of his spells. Well, that's his prerogative, you know. And sometimes it can feel good to get to the end of an adventuring day and still have a lot of resources. It makes the players feel like they're being uh, tactically efficient with their, you know, with their resource pool and what mm-hmm. they need to do. Um, and at the same time, if you feel like your players are being too conservative, you can mix it up and throw in um, you know, a, a really big encounter. Um, perhaps you throw in a large encounter and then don't do anything else for the rest of the day. Then the players think, okay, well, maybe I could have gone a little bit more all out on that you know, dragon that nearly TPK'd us all. <laughs> I really want to, to save that fifth level spell for some reason. Yeah, it's yeah. like that thing in video games where you get an item and you, you don't ever use it for the whole game. 
See, I hate that. And yeah. I, I've been trying to train myself not to do that because I've had, I mean, so, so much. So, I had so many perfectly cooked meals in Breath of the Wild, Ben. <laughs> I never, never use. Yeah, I get that. Just because I was like, I may need this full roast dinner for the next adventure. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then I remember, I remember getting to the Ganon fight and just being like, "Well, this is the end, so I'm going to use them all." <laughs> but then part of me yeah. was like, "Why?" But what if there's something else? And then you just have a mega feast yeah. <laughs> right in front of Ganon. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, like I say, that that's not necessary. I mean, for, for his party. Uh, makeup in general. I mean, we've experienced this a little bit. I would probably say only a max of maybe one level uh, yeah. disparity. Mm-hmm. We've never really done two or three so much. Um, so and I think that's not really affected our games very much. So my my thoughts on this. I, as a player, I've only really experienced this in your game, um, where. You know, we, we earn levels through the XP system and there are small things that we can do as players that personally give us a bit of a boost. And so sometimes another player is maybe a level ahead of the, the rest of the group for, I think, at most a couple of sessions. I don't think it's ever gone on more than that. Um, that's the only time I've experienced it as a player. As a DM, I kind of stay away from it. I've done it a little bit in um, Esteroth, not by meaning to, but mainly because you earn that kind of same XP system that we use in your game. But again, it's only at max, like a level, I think maybe, maybe for four or five sessions. It's not, and, and that's only because you're at a high level threshold too. You're in like tier, you're in, nearly in tier three. So it's not, it's not really something I've, I've set out to do. And my kind of thinking behind that is like, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to, have other players feel like they're not as effective or as good as the rest of the party. But then at the same time, part of me thinks as a DM, it would be quite interesting and more fun for me to have a game where I have to balance around more than one level and and really seeing, you know, how those deadly encounters fair if we have more deaths if there's more tension like it feels like that could be a much more interesting experience as a dm watching it and running it i don't know if it would be as a player well in my game i have sort of numerous ways to gain and earn xp and for me gaining xp is sort of a meta game on top of the actual game we're playing so Obviously, I award XP for killing monsters and kind of regardless if you're in the combat or not as such or you're in a different scene, pretty much all the players get the same XP for that. Uh, and then, which is kind of slightly different to how you did it in Estroth, but but I just simplified it for that specific aspect. I give XP for completing quests and just doing certain things. Then I also have this goals and bonds system that which I pretty much commandeered from uh, Dungeon World, which mm. it was the first game I saw that had it in where get essentially you create these bonds between different characters where you would say, okay, me and this other character are bonded by this one specific goal I'm trying to achieve with them. And it was generally not a goal to attain anything or to do anything. It was more of a progress this relationship 
to the next level or to a certain place where I want to maneuver it to. So it might be, you know, I'm the big strong Goliath and there's a small little wizard gnome in the party and uh, I want to get the gnome to understand that brawn is just as uh, useful or meaningful as intelligence or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And we, you would discuss it and... I think the DM would need to agree it's uh, achieved, but also both players would need to agree it's achieved. And what's most I found most interesting in my game is it was never me as the DM stopping any of these bonds being fulfilled. It was always the players. Mm. Like one player would be like, "Well, yeah, I think um, I think I've achieved that." And the other player would be like, mm, "No, not quite. <laughs> I just don't think I like you just enough yet." You know, they got like really into it, even though yeah. they were basically hindering their own XP because. Um, it's sort of both players get XP for completing their, their bonds and then also had goals as well. And I simplified it down so each player had one bond and one goal. The goal was just something more personal to that player that they wanted to achieve. Mm. Um, and I would award XP and the XP values would change based on how difficult it was. And some players picked really difficult goals. So when they achieved them, they got a massive bump in XP. But like I say, it only really shot over one level or so and it generally evened out after a little little while but I like that because it it became almost this more competitive aspect on top of the game where our our party was really trying to shoot for their own goals and trying to work with each other and it just had this extra dynamic and I think it made the player characters uh, a bit more a bit more like individuals right Mm. because they they had these own personal aspirations. So I find sometimes D&D parties can be too... I mean, certainly not a problem for our party, but some parties can be sort of... They can work too well together because there's that kind of meta-knowledge that we're all playing a game and we're all sort of... We need to do everything together and and we're working towards this one goal and we want to level up and do this stuff, so we'll just get along. But, I mean... Obviously, our party, we just... We've never had that and, issue, ever. No, like, it, we, if anything, we go too far in the other direction, so... Yeah. I, I, had, I had all these different XP systems, and because of that, we had these disparity in levels, but I think that can be rewarding for players, because if the player completes a difficult goal, and they get a bump, and, okay, they get to be level nine three sessions before everyone else does... It's not too big a deal. One, they get they get to fill that power bump. They get to feel a little bit stronger than everyone else as a slight reward. I don't think it hinders other players' experiences because most of the time, well, in our group, where everyone generally gets along as people, they enjoy watching one of their friends have this this sort of slight power fantasy for a few sessions. Yeah. Where, oh, that character's leveled up. They've moved up, and that's really cool. And they enjoy almost watching it as a spectator, right, when the, um, the wizard busts out that wall of force for the first time um mm. and got that a little bit early so i think that it's not too much of a problem as long as your players know how to handle it yeah so i think i think as as a group we all work really well together anyway i think i've said it before but we um it's it's imperative that we all enjoy that and we appreciate like we like that the other person has got that there's no, there's no, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no like competitiveness in the sense that, you know, oh, you got there before me, um, I'm unhappy. And there's no sort of like, oh, why does he get to do it and not me? It's it's all like, oh yeah, you did it, well done. We're always rooting for each other, which is what you want at the table. So, you know, I think there might be groups that 
that are too competitive that don't like it. So you have to think about it. And I think this is one of those things that is another one of it'll work for some groups and it, it won't work for others. Um, but I really enjoy that system. I think that having um, the goals and bonds and like the thing is, as a player in that system, I have them and they're always there. But and I'm always kind of working on them and I picked them and they're things that I want to do. So that's already very personal and um, a lot of fun. But then when you achieve them, you get that little boost in XP and you you kind of get that you actually do achieve something. You don't just achieve something narratively and it's like, oh yeah, now my character knows how giants were born. You know, great. I've achieved that knowledge. But you actually achieve mechanically in the gameplay sense something, which is what makes it so rewarding. And there is that moment when, I don't know, maybe we haven't spoken about them for a couple of sessions and at the end of them, one character suddenly goes, oh, um, I think I've, I think I achieved my goal to to do X, Y, Z. And then everybody goes, oh, I need to, I need to look at my goals and see if I've done them. And then suddenly there's this big conversation about like, have we done this? Have we not done that? Um, and going back to what you said about the players being the ones stopping the, the yes, you've done it rather than the DM just, I think is another testament to our group and, and why I get on so much with our friends when we play, but, but also shows that it's, it's all player driven and that's i think that's why it works so well and it feeds into itself we could do a whole session talking about it and maybe we should because it is a really good um i think a really good implementation that you've made and one that i would carry over to any of the games that i run and i think we've thoroughly play tested it now as well um but yeah it, it only ever puts us at max a level ahead and that i don't see an issue in where i get the trepidations is when i think about I put myself in the shoes of being a level three character in a level five party. And the reason I use those levels is because we always talk about how there's that power spike at level five. And Mm, I think for me, I'd feel a bit like I wasn't useful. Not that I was like missing out because I don't, I don't play that way, but I wouldn't feel as beneficial to the rest of the group. Um, But then I think if we sat down in like a session zero and we said, okay, in this game, we're all going to level at different times and that's going to mean there's going to be potentially big gaps. And so you've got to think tactically. I think that side of it, I would enjoy because then as a higher leveled player, I'd have to think about, okay, how am I going to look out for my level three wizard? And as a level three character, I'm going to think, okay, how am I going to be effective? How am I going to utilize my abilities to the best of my ability, but also not die? (laughs) I think that Mm -hmm. could be fun. Well, I guess to to speak to his specific situation, I think that you can use it in a narrative context to enhance the story. Okay, so you're what is it, the paladin who is level three, I think you yeah. said, um, and everyone else is level five. It wouldn't be such a big deal if the paladin was level two and everyone was level four, but like we say, level five is a, a big power spike, so... Even a character that's level four and a character that's level five, they can feel like there's a big difference there because there there is generally most of the time. Yeah. But are the, if the players have this disparity, are they playing with that context in mind? That is the is the paladin playing with the context that he's not as experienced as everyone else? Are all these other characters? Do they have a more experienced backstory that lends them to be this much more powerful? Right. Um, or have they just progressed faster than the Paladin? Is that a narrative context or tool you can use to, to explore why is the Paladin not as powerful as the rest of these these people? What's uh, holding him or her back, right? Mm. 
So I think that can be an interesting tool. And the fact that, okay, maybe the Paladin is getting knocked out before other people, um, but perhaps you as the DM can then reward that with more XP because ultimately people learn from their failures. And if the Paladin is failing a lot and falling down a lot, maybe they're, they're getting double XP or whatever because they're, uh, it's enhancing their um, capacity to learn faster. Mm. That could be a fun little um, exercise. And they may even encourage the Paladin to, even though they're a bit more squishy than everyone else, they haven't quite got the capabilities everyone else has, to really put themselves out there and really put themselves on the line, which I think is quite an exciting thing. For his party makeup specifically, I don't see too much of a problem with this because um, the Paladin maybe doesn't have it right now, but he could be wearing plate mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it, he's going to have a good AC from day one anyway. Uh, yeah, he can't deal out the damage that everyone else can do because he doesn't have multi-attack yet or anything like that. But he has got smites, not a lot of them, but he has got some. So when he does need to do that big damage, he certainly can still dish it out. You chuck a smite spell on there and also a standard smite in the same attack, you, you're getting sort of like triple damage, essentially. Uh, so you c- he can do that when needs be. Um, still got lay on hands, uh, what, 15 HP worth of, of healing. So he's got a little bit of longevity there. I think Paladin's one of those classes that, of all the classes, that is one that can thrive in that environment and be okay. When you said about the balancing of the barbarian saying okay but the barbarian's got like essentially double hp because of the resistance right yeah um and it's just it's just so tanky and really struggling to deal with the part with the barbarian good that's <laughs> what the barbarian is supposed to do right so if the barbarian was not feeling very tanky and strong and, and taking all the hits for the team it probably wouldn't be a satisfying experience for the barbarian because that probably what that player wants is to is to feel that they are taking those hits and they can withstand anything um, and they're protecting their team members if that's happening in combat then clearly that player is playing tactically and efficiently enough to fulfill the role they want to do and, and that that sort of power fantasy mm. um, if it, it can get out of hand I suppose if you feel the one player is playing so effectively that it's just nullifying a lot of these combat situations and maybe the other players are not even getting an opportunity to shine uh, that's when you can start targeting that player in different ways so don't just attack the ac attack the saving throws right or if as long as they're not a totem i think barbarian you could use different elements fire whatever what they're not resistant to mm-hmm. again i think it's a fine line though we've spoken about this before we don't want to go overboard with it because because then it's again, obvious then it's obvious that you're hard countering that player as the DM, and then it, that can become a, like we say, an adversarial relationship, which you don't want. Uh, I would say similar to if, say, you're playing a hard heavy armor that can't move so much, and your DM just keeps fucking throwing flying creatures that you, that you just can't get to, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you're just running around the, the battlefield for ages, trying to hit things, but you can't, because clearly... And the DM knows you can't fly, but he insists on bringing flying creatures to the battle, which you just then can't access. And, and everyone else is shooting spells and, and, and arrows and, and dealing damage, but you, you're the main damage dealer. But you can't deal the damage because you just can't fucking fly, you know? And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. And um, <sighs> you're, you're, I'm just thinking about about 
countering flying creatures and I'm remembering something that happened in the descent game this week. We had a um we had a druid uh shapeshifted into a bear that needed to get out of the way of an avalanche and um mate you just cast fly on a bear and they grow some wings, you know? Flying bear. What are you gonna do about flying bear? Um, well well Galahad didn't have anyone to, to make wings out of. No, 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 unfortunately, unfortunately not. There's, there's a lot there. And I think um, there's, there are a lot of things you can do. And the, I, you've made a really good point in the hard countering. That is the last thing you want to do. The last thing you want to do is, is very clearly be, you know, going against one specific player and trying to level it out that way. And I think we've spoken a bit before about playing your enemies smarter. Now, Felix says in his email that mostly due to where they are in the game, um, their enemies are... Uh, other humanoids and and people rather than wild animals so what you've got there is the opportunity to really utilize the fact that they are intelligent quote-unquote creatures that will you know once they're in a combat work out who they need to go for and and work out who's causing the problems and who they need to take out first and also you know what might run away because they value their life so there there's a lot of um a lot of stuff you can do in in how you're running those those villains, those creatures, those combat encounters, as long as you do it the right way, I think is is the best way to put it. And it and it, it can be tricky to find that right way, um, because it again, with this being D D and and a game and different groups, it can vary from group to group based on what they think and what they enjoy. So you have to play around with it a bit, but but there are options there. Um there's one other thing Felix has said, Joe, that I want to go into. But before we do, um, I have here a dice rolling tray. Here you go. Oh, my goodness. What a segue. What a, what a smooth transition. Ben, you, you... Thank you. I'm very good you, at this. You're becoming very professional with this. Thank you, my friend. Um, this is uh, a nice dice tray that you should hopefully hear loud enough. And I have in my hand one of the dice from... Uh, a set from the Dice Dungeon. Now, what I've got is the Gaius the Green set, which is one of their brand new sets, Joe. And oh my God, they are gorgeous. Um, these are a, a set of fully metal dice, obviously. They are um, silver with this lovely green inlay. And uh, they're part of their new Arcane Prison set, uh, Arcane Prison collection, I should say. So it's three sets with the story being that each set is the imprisonment of an evil deity. Uh, so I have in my hand the imprisoned deity Gaius um, which I've got to say Joe feels very very powerful I feel like this company won't be able to exist in like the 80s with the satanic panic you know what I mean yeah. this is this is just alarm bells you know going off yeah before I'm center that, that would be a problem in the 80s but luckily we're very progressive now <laughs> we've moved on <laughs> oh, awkward laugh um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to roll you one of the dice Joe and I want you to try and guess which one it is Ah, so it's like an it's like an audio visual ASMR experience, right? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. tell me if okay. this isn't loud enough. All right, here we go. You, I'll, I'll roll it for you once, and then I'll let you see what you think. And if you want me to roll it again for you, I will. Okay. Sure, sure. Okay. And if you need a hint, I can tell you what number it landed on. Oh, yeah, that'd be nice. Okay, so it landed on a six. Oof. Oof. Mm. Give me another one, Ben. You want, you want another one? Give me another hit. It is very satisfying, isn't it? That thunk, that heavy mm. landing. Give me another hit, Ben. Almost like your your blade landing in the enemy. 
Oh, that was a bad roll. Here we go. That one landed Ooh, on that. a two. Well, at least you're on brand, Ben. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your, yeah. your kind of roles, Ben. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that the, the chunkiness... Just the caught chunk, me there. The, the, chunk, the chunkiness of said role, Ben, it could only be a um, sort of the soul of a lich trapped within a, a dice set. You know, Ben? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, you can almost feel the soul screaming with every... Uh, with every land. Bounce, well, yeah, with every bounce along the ground. So I have to say, Ben, it's a, it's a, it's a dice dungeon. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you are right, but that's not what you were trying to tell me. What, yeah, what ben, dice well, is it, genius, Come on. I'm not, I'm not a genius, am I? You know what I mean? You know what I mean ben, You've got I, a one I've in seven been... chance. Come on. Come on. You can do this. Do you want one more roll? Give me one more roll. Okay. Is that a... Is it a... D... D... 12? Yes! Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. genius. You actually did it. I'm so... I'm proud of you. You know what? I went through, like... I went sort of galaxy brain, entered the matrix there for a second, and yeah. I was like, okay, look at the range of numbers he's rolled. Okay, what 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 does that eliminate? Blah blah blah. So like, okay, they're both pretty low. And then I was thinking D six, and I was like, no, D six not funky enough. You know, I think that's <laughs> a I think that's a scientific term. You know, yeah, funky enough, enough. Yeah, yeah. Not enough funk to it, and I'm not talking funky enough like uh, like reggae. Look, yeah, or like you know disco rollerblading, mm. but it's not got that 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 bang. You know, yeah, I don't think that, reggae is very funky, is it? Mm, no, not really. I, don't, I, I want to associate right? <laughs> Says the reggae presenter. This is going well, isn't it? Well, look, I'm, I'm impressed with you, Joe. You, you managed to do it. Well, look, um, I'm going to put the die back in its lovely felt-lined container in the lovely metal dice dungeon tin that it arrived in with the beautiful logo on it and the little card that they wrote a little note on for us um, and uh, and put them safe away for when we play a game later. You know, I have used these dice in one game, Joe, and uh, I've got to say, once I attuned to them, they were they were very, very helpful in uh, in all of my uh, D&D escapades. So, um, ah, you're a nerd, isn't you? I am, I am, yeah, I yeah. massively am, yeah. Um, I you can, you just said that. Wow. <laughs> you, can uh, you can check out that amazing set, Guys the Green, on uh, the Dice Dungeon website, which there is a link to in the description of this episode. And of course, you can use the code We Speak Common with a capital W, a capital S, and a capital C for 10% off, and you'll be supporting the show. Uh, they are really and, nice. Uh, they are really, really yeah, nice. Yeah, I mean, and if you enjoyed this this ASMR content, we, it's always something we can push further. Um, maybe we should um, maybe we should start a Patreon and just have yeah. the tiers be special ASMR. I don't. I've I've, I've already hate the idea. I'm sorry. I've, I was going to go I, with I, the joke. I, but... I would just I would just like do an ASMR where I just fold my character sheet over and over again. Oh like, no, you know, no! You know, I'm I'm crinkling it, Ben. It's folding. It's got creases. My soul. Yeah, Ben always beefs me out because all my character sheets are folded into little squares. But Maybe you're just, a monster. It's easy transport. I just put them in my dice bag, which is actually an old headphones bag that I've repurposed. Uh, okay. You know, thank you, Audio Technica, for your support. Um, but, uh, <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I've realised? The difference between you and I is that you are so, like, you're the... Uh, um, what's the word? You just, you're so thrifty with it all. You're just like, oh, yeah, little... 
little headphones bag. That'll do. Oh, don't need to go buy a dice bag. Oh, what's this? Rolling tray. It's okay. I've got an old takeaway tub from a Chinese. That'll be fine. Whereas Again, I'm ben. like, let me buy the felt bag. Let me get the tray. Again, Ben, though. The character circle, folder. Ben. This is why I only utilize high-quality uh, metal dice so I can throw them across the room without fear of breakage. Like dice from the Dice Dungeon. Yes, yeah, that was where I was going. Yeah. With that. I just thought I'd make it extra clear just to be... Just to be safe. Just to be yeah. safe. Yeah. Really, really send that branding home. Okay. So, um, Felix, the other issue that he has with his level disparity is um, not so much we've talked about the dealing out damage to players, but the lethality. Is that how you say it? Lethality? Lethality? Yeah, lethality, yeah. Sounds about right. We'll just go with that. How lethal the Barbarian is compared to, say, the Paladin. So, he's. So I think the core of this problem, in my, from my point of view is the the enemies that they're coming up against and like he, he says for example like if they come up against a rogue uh, you know the barbarian can take them out in one swing and that then gets rid of the whole encounter which in a way is great because play that barbarian power fantasy as we said earlier but also you want to give the other characters a chance so my sort of work around my immediate work around to this and tell me what you think joe is that when you're building out your encounters you make sure you've got a level of of creatures this is what i'm going to use on monsters for each player to go up against so you've got that that chunky guy that the barbarian might want to focus on and you've got maybe a few little smaller minions that the barbarian could one hit one shot but you've got a couple of them so that the other characters that are lower level get a chance to get in there and feel like they are having a a a, a big impact on combat too hmm yeah, I mean, it's always nice to have a variety of foes to face with different weaknesses. I think that it could also be interesting to, um, obviously, it sounds like you're fighting a lot of humans and things right now, but varying that up and have, say, okay, the barbarian's going up against a big dangerous foe, he's got a bunch of HP and whatnot, uh, but they are perhaps resistant to slashing, piercing, and, and bludgeoning damage, right? Hmm. Um, but they are vulnerable to radiant damage. And boom, all of a sudden the Paladin becomes a very useful ally in that situation, right? Or they have really high AC where maybe the Paladin and the Barbarian are both struggling to hit, but the Bard can um, quite easily disable or banish the creature or whatever because it's got terrible charisma or wisdom saving throw. Hmm. So um, straight away then those saving effects become... More effective. Um, I think those are all tools you can use because there are multiple ways to target an enemy and uh, attack different weaknesses. Then, and some of these ways, entire classes are based around right. Like wizard can, can attack AC, but generally most of the time is attacking a saving throw, and that is their, their jam. Obviously, martial characters pretty much just attack AC. Um, because you have these different options, you can specialise creatures to have strengths and weaknesses uh, that the players can feel out, figure out, find, uh, and then adjust their play styles accordingly. So sometimes in one encounter, you might have it where you're fighting a bunch of uh, demons that are, you know fear the, the dangerous radiant light. Maybe you could give the almost a paladin a bit of a power fancy that the demons literally fear paladins because they know their their sole mission in life is just to, to hunt them down and, and kill them all. Mm-hmm. So you, the, the player almost ha- all of a sudden gets elevated to this position of power. Um, 
in the encounter, not through literal numbers, but just through the, the fluff of the narrative. And that can change things. Um, I find that how you present a lot of these encounters is what really matters. The numbers are often less so mm-hmm. important, but, but they can, obviously they matter. I think for me, when I ran my session a few weeks ago, and it was a pretty tough session actually. I think it, had, it was a, there was an encounter in it which aggressively ramped up in difficulty and the longer it went on the more out of hand it would get to the point yeah. where I thought okay maybe, maybe the players might even have to flee at some point mm. um, but it was an entirely undead based encounter and it wasn't even something I really thought about but just thematically how it worked all, all the well most of the foes were undead um, and then the, the cleric comes along and turns undead and just annihilates the entire encounter. Yeah. <laughs> and they all, sort of, <laughs> all run away. Yeah. But it was awesome because uh, this play, this was a brand new um, character as well that they brought to the table. So it's fun for their first foray just to be this immensely powerful uh, sort of full stop on this encounter, which was fun. And... You think, oh, okay, they're so well, they're, they're so much more powerful than everyone else. That's sort of shamed everyone else. Well, not necessarily. Everyone else was still throwing fireballs. You know, your paladin in your game is still smiting, even if they can't do it as much as they would at level five, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone else was still cleaning their spells. Uh, the you know, the bard was casting things, etc. There was stuff going on, but it just happened in that encounter that this cleric had the the perfect counter button. Right? Yeah, and and it. And it and in another encounter, it, it might be someone else. And I think it's good to try and focus that and to, to vary that up. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun as another player at the table watching that too. Like there was no like, oh, I, he's he's just stolen the limelight. There was none of that because it was just so entertaining to watch this encounter suddenly just go from, oh, we're in the shit to, oh, okay, we've we've turned the tide of battle. And um, as a point of note, like we're talking about how to make those encounters still feel lethal and still feel, um, you know, like they actually matter. But sometimes the best moments come from when players absolutely just bomb encounters. I remember when uh, I, it was just a long time ago in Esteroff, you guys ventured into like this deserty pyramid kind of thing that had appeared in a dungeon and, and the, the big boss was the Mummy Lord. And I didn't even twig to you know my my failure really as a, as a planner for the dm um that i've got a phoenix sorcerer who could absolutely abolish this guy and she did completely i think we we worked out she did like over 120 points of damage in like one turn um and that instantly wiped this guy out and for me i was like oh they've just they've just trivialized the boss but I mean, they'd already been through this whole dungeon and and had this amazing experience. And that moment is something we always talk about. We always talk about that one time Wes dealt 129 plus points of damage in one turn and basically was a god for for, for six (laughs) seconds. And and it, it was amazing. So, you know, sometimes having a player, whether it be the one that's really high level or be because they have the right set of tools against the... um. Uh, the vulnerabilities of the creature they're up against becomes this big boss and and just does them in that can be great too so don't be afraid if that happens because those are some of the most fun moments too yeah and i just think that if all those moments currently going to the barbarian 
then you just need to vary up your enemies and highlight to the players that there are perhaps more effective strategies that these characters specialise in different forms of attacks, like, for instance, the bar or the paladin with different uh, damage types, etc., mm. can shine in. Um, and maybe it's a case that your players are, you're doing that already, but your players are just not quite picking up on it, and their answer is just to hit everything. Um, so perhaps through the narrative or for you just saying as a DM, like, hey, you know, we, you have these other options um, which might enhance your play style. Also, I don't really know how experienced your players are, right? If they're very experienced, they probably know that anyway. Yeah. But maybe it's a case of highlighting it in the world. Um, maybe the, the paladin comes across uh, a bunch of clerics. It sounds like you're in a bit more of a city setting or um, urban environment or at least with people, perhaps they come across a bunch of clerics and they get, they find out that, oh, there's these guys uh, who are causing trouble or whatever, and they're, they're just people like everything else that fits into your world, but maybe they're all warlocks touched by some sort of uh, demon insight or whatever, and that, and they said, well, you know, they're, they're resistant to everything, they're really tough, they, they're, it's emboldened them, they've got scaly skin, but they are vulnerable to the the Lord's holy light or whatever. You don't have to say divine damage, right? but hopefully the paladin can, <laughs> can, can, gather. Put, can put two, to, two and two together, right? Yeah. And and then the, it's even more satisfying when you do that because it's like, okay, the paladin's got this information. He's figured it out. Like, you know, like a witcher, he's put the uh, perfect concoction together to then face his foe. Mm. That's almost more exciting, I think, than just doing it randomly in combat and be like, oh, well, they're... they're they seem to have taken double damage there. That's great. But when it's like, I've planned for this, I've crafted this special moment mm-hmm. for me to to uh, exploit a weakness as a chink in the, the enemy's armor, and then you do that, and it becomes very effective, I think that paladin is going to fill that power fantasy just as much as the barbarian who's doing more damage just because they have more xp right yeah and then and narratively as well that's that opens a lot of doors because that can be the paladin saying okay guys look we can go up against this but i need to spend the night and i need to pray and i need to talk to my god i need to commune you know and that's them preparing their spells for the next day after hearing all of this you know clues and information about what they're going to go up against so doing stuff like that opens more doors to make the game more fun as well so i I don't Um, know there's a lot there and uh, worst comes to worst, uh, in a few more levels, the Paladin will just be dishing out immensely more damage <laughs> than the Barbarian anyway. So it yeah. doesn't matter. But the Barbarian will be taking much more damage. So, and, Joe, and living still. you'll be proud of me. The other day in the Descent game, um, I was getting ready to unleash my, uh, my smite that the Warlock gets. I forget the name mm. of it now. Oh, um, the Eld- Eldritch, Eldritch smite. smite. That's the one. And I was, I, I got all my dice together, ready to go. It just happened that someone managed to kill the creature before me anyway. Um, but getting those dice together, I suddenly, I felt this, this joy and this um, anticipation, the surge, the surge of energy. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, I understand why Joe likes being a paladin. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun. Just, just so many D8s. Oh, you know, felt, just so many. I felt dirty. I've got to be honest. Felt felt very dirty. <laughs> but I think what's fun as well about the Warlock Smite is that you, um, because you only have one level of spells, it's always all or nothing when you do it as well. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that's why, it, like, especially in the low levels of card, then you're like, you've got to find that crit. You've got to find that one crit to mm-hmm. justify this Smite. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's it. That's all. It's a fun class. Fun class. Oh, mate. Well, look. I think there's a lot there. I'd be really interested in running or playing in a game i mean both where from the outset we start from the very beginning at level one and from the outset we say okay this game we're all going to level at different speeds you're all going to earn separate xp and just seeing how it goes kind of like i think was it second edition players um different classes leveled at different rates so yeah yeah so some some classes uh namely the wizard Mm -hmm. just took way longer to level up than uh than other characters like their XP bands are much higher, which was kind of bullshit for the wizard because the wizard sucked at early levels anyway. It wasn't like they were <laughs> like getting two anything. spell slots each rest, and that was it. Yeah, well, you had one. I think at first level it was once one one spell. slot. If you if you weren't uh, specialized, if you were specialized, you got an extra. There were no, no cantrips no either, so it nice. was one and done. <laughs> Yeah, literally. So the, the wizard would get to the encounter, shoot off his magic missile, and he's like, "Well, I'm. Uh, see you next week, guys. Um, guess I'll guess I'll go home." <laughs> you forget. I forget as well that like the spells slot system was different. You had to memorize the spell the number of times you wanted it. So if you had two spell slots and you wanted two magic missiles, that was your two spell slots gone. It wasn't okay. I've got two spell slots. And I can cast any of the spells that I've got prepared. Uh, and that's what made the sorcerer slightly more special in earlier editions. Is they the sorcerer was the only class with access to how we do spell slots now right mm. uh, where they have just a pool of, of magic energy and they can spend it on whatever they want um, whatever they've got access to whereas now everyone can do that you know, that's why the, the sorcerer seems a bit a bit null and void at this point I think but mm. yeah back in the day having that flexibility was actually a really strong trait and when you were a wizard and you're like okay I mean and it was really hard to pick anything other than just all fireballs you know, once you got it it's like well okay i could take the tech magic or i could have six fireballs instead of five so, <laughs> yeah. so really what am i gonna do here let's be honest <laughs> yeah yeah and then you're like i open the door with my fireball um yeah. i would i would be really interested in in hearing from anyone who's playing in a game like that or is running a game like that if you are or if you want to get in touch with us in in any way shape or form you can email us at wespeakcommon.com you can um do that through our website wespeakcommon.com as well um or you can tweet us we are at wespeakcommon on twitter and if you head over to twitter from today there will be the tweet for the competition to enter in to win yourself a set of your choice from the dice dungeon website it's going to be open for entries for a little while the instructions will all be on that um tweet so uh, get involved and one lucky person will be holding a very very nice set of metal dice in their hands before they know it and you can throw them at a wall drop them just you know put them next to your folded up crumpled sheets and uh, they will be indestructible yeah i mean maybe maybe don't if you if you throw them at the wall we or dice dungeon are not responsible for the hole that it makes (laughs) okay Well, what weird suggestion to make, Joe? Throw them at a wall. And I just, I, I'm careless with m- most of the things I own in my life, and I appreciate a degree of durability. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Whereas I am very, very, very protective of everything that I own. Okay. Let's. See, so you're one of those people who puts like little cards in sleeves and things, yeah. don't you? Yeah, I do that. Where's the fun in that? You could, if you can't even hold the card, are you gonna you'd be one of those people that gets a sofa, then just wraps it in plastic. Oh, I know that's uh, a bit far. That's not comfortable. I only do it with things that I really care about, like Magic: The Gathering cards and Dungeons and Dragons dice. <laughs> <laughs> 
the important things. Yeah, you know, the things that matter in life. Okay, um, let's let's leave it there, Joe. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you like the podcast, do us a favor. Leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at WeSpeakCommon or through the email WeSpeakCommon at Hotmail.com. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license CC by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Free Music Archive.